Well, today we are wrap, wrapping up our distracted series, and this verse has been coming back to us over and over and over throughout this series, and it's 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. And Peter's saying, the end of things is near. And he doesn't mean like the world is about to be destroyed and some like cosmic asteroid is coming to the earth or anything like that. But what he is trying to do is get our attention, let us know that, hey, we need to be serious about this. Jesus is the finished work of God. And this is what he says. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Why don't we do that right now? Let's just pray right now. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we just thank you so much again for your goodness. We thank you that uh, you've got a good word for us today. A word of, of um, correction, a word of encouragement, a word that shows us who you are. And so, Jesus, we put our gaze and our focus upon you right now. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and just uh, transform our hearts. Bring us into alignment with your heart. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 You know, if it, it seems like if there's anything our society is bankrupt of, it's clear-mindedness. We've got so many distractions from our phones to social media to Netflix. I mean, distractions come in all shapes and sizes. All shapes and sizes. I mean, it could be not just uh, social media or technology, uh, but, you know, there's video games. Boys and girls, you guys know about video games, don't you? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes there's a distraction to what mom and dad want you to do, right? And then for grown-ups, we've got some even more serious things sometimes. You know, abuse of substances. Uh, maybe it's work-related stuff. Maybe it's a new relationship. The list goes on and on and on. Maybe it's shopping. Maybe it's recreation. It comes in all shapes, shapes and sizes. There's nothing inherently wrong about video games. There's nothing inherently wrong with shopping or recreation or work. But where we get derailed is where we place distraction at the center of our lives. And when distraction is at the center and our lives orbit around distraction, that's, it's, it's like when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, when we build our house, the foundation of our life, on sand. And if we do that, eventually a storm is going to come. A storm is going to come to our life. Whether we build our house in the sand or whether we build our house in the rock, storms are going to come. And when they do, if our house is built on anything but Jesus, then it's going to come crashing down. So if our life is built on the bedrock of Jesus, the foundation of Christ, the rock of our salvation is what Psalms 95 says. I love that. I love that. Jesus says, build your house upon the rock. And he says it to all these people that know Psalm 95. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout to the rock of our salvation. And he's revealing to them who he is. He's the rock of their salvation. He's the rock of our salvation. And when the storms come, the storms will still, or the house will still be standing. Now, after this message, we talked about this scripture last week, and after this message last week, I was talking with my brother Jeff over here, and he says, you know, Matthew 7, 24, 25, that's our number one song. And if you guys don't know, Jeff and his family, the McCulloughs, they run a ministry called Jumpstart 3. And what they do is they travel all over the world, and they teach 
boys and girls, and they teach families the Word of God through song. And so, you know, I said, Jeff, you know what? what? You got to come. You got to come teach us this song. You got to come teach it to the whole family. Come on, brother. Come on up. And you got to teach it to the boys and girls here today and come tell us about what you do. And so everybody give our very own Jeff McCullough of Jumpstart 3 a big seeds welcome. Thank you, guys. How you doing this morning? really excited to see you guys. Uh, when, the last four weeks, JD's preaching, and he keeps landing on these verses, and I'm like sitting in my chair going like, I got a song for that. I got a song for that. Seven years ago, I didn't have much scripture memorized at all. I was, I was that dad that successfully delivered my kids to the door of children's ministry. So someone like Austin, can we give Austin a, a hand right now? This, this guy tirelessly plans and prepares and decides, how can I disciple these kids? And my challenge was this. I wasn't planning and preparing and tirelessly figuring out how to disciple my kids. And, and God put it on my front porch. I, I, I sat down and I decided to find out, has my kid memorizing? Because he got God's word in his heart. And, and so I started asking questions. And, and bottom line, he really wasn't. And I realized it was my wife's fault. Um, it's Father's Day, give me a break, right? So, but, but here's, here's the reality. She said, you know what, sir, he does what you do. And he doesn't see you memorize God's word. And he told my, my wife, I don't need to memorize God's word because that's what, not what daddy does. Real men don't memorize scripture. Yeah, right? Because I'm a real man and he does what I do. And he acts like me. There's a cost to that. If you lead them astray, amen. So, fathers, this isn't where I'm trying to bum everyone out and bring it down. In fact, I'm trying to bring the energy up today and say, this is where I took that moment to say, okay, God, what can I do? How do I, how do I teach? So before that happens, um, you, you see the Mohawk guy on the, on the screen here. Um, I've got a couple of them right here. I'm going to drop them in here. If you're lucky enough, I need to, to yeah, yeah. Now, we're not allowed to call this a gun. It's a um, launcher. Okay, so everyone count to three. Say one, two, three. First delivery. Sorry, kids, you'll get some later. Okay, hold on. You guys, so here's the deal. I took an opportunity to start teaching my kid. Everyone say learning. Okay, say, everyone say auditory. auditory. Faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing the word of God. That's why I don't write my own lyrics, okay? So what we're about to do is we're going to sing God's word. Everyone say auditory. auditory. Everyone say visual. visual. We're going to have the lyrics on the screen for you in case you don't get them right away, okay? Now, when pastor's preaching, he's got the lyrics or the word of God on the screen, right? Yeah. Right? And so you're seeing it and you're hearing it. Now, Neuroscientists tell you if you use one sense, like seeing or hearing, you get 10%. But if you see it and hear it, you get 30. That's why he does that. But I'm going to tell you there's something that we can do to supercharge it. And I'm going to ask everyone to stand up right now. Okay. This is kids' church style. With my team coming down, if you're wearing a Jumpstart 3 shirt, come on down. If you don't know what's going on, you'll learn with these guys. Everyone say kinesthetic. kinesthetic. That's moving. Okay. When you use auditory, visual, and kinesthetic together, you get 98% retention. That's good, right? Okay, so here's how it works. Everyone take your index finger and put it to the air. And now the other one. 
And we're going to make a little bit of a, a, a little promise to one another. Everyone say, we're going to move our hands. Oh, seeds, it's good. Now, Pastor, take a picture for the website. Here, we're going to We're going to stop our feet. But we're not going to ring the bell. Because modest is hottest. See, I'm a Baptist at heart, and uh, we don't dance. But we're going to do some motions right now, okay? Take your index finger up, and I'm going to teach you a verse. Say, therefore, everyone. Therefore, everyone. Now, I want everyone to hear it, so I want you to say it loud. Say, therefore, everyone. Who hears these words of mine? These words of mine. These words of mine. 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 Oh, some Nemo fans out there. And puts them into practice. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. On the rock. On the rock. Say the rain came down. I mean, hand motioners. <laughs> the streams rose. The streams oh, you remember the 80s? Look at y'all. <laughs> Say, the wind blew and beat, the wind the wind blew and beat. against that house. That house. Say, yet yeah, it did not fall. Oh, look at y'all, Nike finger. Come on. Yet it did not fall. Yet it did not fall all. Because it had its foundation on the what? On the what? On the rock. On the what? On the rock. Church, let me tell you something. A friend of mine in Chattanooga, Tennessee, just a couple months ago, decided to teach this. This is 54 words long. This is not a little tiny verse. But he decided to teach it to his four, five, and six-year-olds at his church. This is what our ministry is all about. And this little girl had come to church for the first time. Her friend brought her. And she learned this song like you're about to learn it. And I promise you, this will get stuck in your head. So you've been warned. <laughs> now here's the reality. She went home and she sang that to her mom over and over and over and over. You know, like kids do. When a song gets stuck in there. And her mom was like, what is that? It's a Bible verse. Yeah, sure. Her mom kind of dismissed it. She's like, there's no way you can memorize a whole giant 54-word long verse in one week. But next week, she was so excited, she took her daughter back. Now the second time she'd ever been to church. And guess what? She came home with Matthew 7, 24 and 25. Therefore, every One who hears these words of and puts them into is like a who built his house on the rock. The rain came, down. the streams, Rose. the wind blew and beat against that. House. Yet it did not Rose. because it had its foundation on the rock. You guys are quick Praise learners. You see how effective this is? Now, well, here's what happened. Her mama finally sat down and she said, you know what? She won't stop saying, I don't believe it. She went and dusted off her Bible like some of us need to do. Amen? Amen. Am I talking to the right people? And she opened it up and she looked up Matthew 7, 24 and 25. Every word that her daughter was singing was right in that Bible already. And she began to examine that verse and she read it and she realized she was about to file for divorce and her daughter didn't know it. Dad was already at the house. It stares me up. It's Father's Day, and he was gone. And Mom read the word, and she began to believe, because faith comes by hearing. And hearing a four-year-old sing it over and over and over, and ministering the word to her mom that she didn't even know. But her mom decided to repent, and she put her foundation, because there were storms, everyone say, the rain came down. I don't know what the rain's like in your house. Maybe the rain's quadruple bypass surgery. Maybe the rain's losing the child. See, the rain came down. 
Say the streams rose. The streams rose. Say the wind blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall. Yet it did not fall. Her foundation wasn't on the rock, but she repented. She called her husband and she said, Honey, we need to you need to read this verse. You need to listen to your daughter. And we need to do what the word says. We need to build our house on the what? Rock. On the what? Rock. She called her pastor, and instead of filing for divorce, they've rededicated their life because a four-year-old took the word of God and became what we call a musicianary. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> We've been traveling for seven years. This is the longest we've actually been in one place for four months here at Seas Church in three years. We haven't been any longer than a week in one place. And we're so excited to call this home and to call you family. And uh, I'm just excited. We're leaving on Tuesday for three months. Um, we're going all across North America up to the farthest reaches of Canada. And when we get home, I'm going back to Uganda. And because um, once you go to Africa, you got to go back. It's just amazing. My heart's there. So, but you guys, so I want you to take this verse home today. In fact, uh, when we're when we're done singing it, I'm going to put a code up here because y'all like texting. I'm going to give everyone this song for free. Is that okay? Okay. So um, that's it, you guys. Let's sing it. DJ, can you roll Matthew 7, 24 and 25? Come on, church, clap with me. Now you know it. Let me hear you. Here we go. Put your fingers up. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine. What? These words of mine. These words of mine. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Your turn. He's like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. House on the rock. House on the rock. House on the rock. Here we go. Now freeze. Put your fingers up. Careful, everyone who hears these words of mine. These what? These words of mine. These what? These words of mine.
Fill in the blank. Therefore, every One who these of and puts them into is like a who built his on the rock. So easy, you guys. Build your house on the rock. Thank you. Thank you, JD. Well, boys and girls, you guys have a great rest of your day over at Seeds Kids and Moms and Dads. We'll see you here in a little while. I've got two empty rows up here. Who's going to move up? That's what I want to know. Who's on this Father's Day going to love me and move up here? I'm coming, I'm coming. All right. Hey, uh, Jeff, yeah, you can drink the root beer, uh, especially after that. Um, I don't know if it's the right thing you want to hydrate with, but um, Jeff and uh, the McCullough's Jumpstart 3 has a product table out there in the lobby today, and uh, I know it would be a blessing to them. They've got some great resources to help teach your kids the Word of God. And so go out there, check it out, be a blessing to your family, be a blessing to them. So distraction, that was a good distraction. That was a great distraction. Um, the, 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 the Latin root of the word distraction or distract actually means to pull apart, to drag away from something. And so when you're distracted, you are pulled apart. You are dragged away from the things that you probably most need to be spending your attention on at that moment. Last week I told you, you know, hey, we've been spending the last couple of weeks kind of diagnosing this problem, talking about it a lot. And today we were going to talk about how we can defeat distraction. And so let's talk about this. So let's talk today about three ideas that are going to help you overcome distraction and be an overcomer and defeat it. The first thing is this. You need to recognize that you're in a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual battle. The battle of distraction. It's not just a technology problem. It's not just a relationship problem. It's not just an attention span problem. It's a spiritual battle. Because underneath every issue that we're facing in our lives, there's a spiritual battle. A spiritual war that's being waged. And as Christians, we believe these, all these things that we experience around us with our five senses is not all of reality. There is another reality that exists. There is a spirit realm that exists. And a lot of the things that we experience in the seen realm, in the felt realm, is a, is a cause or an effect of the things that are happening in the unseen realm. This is a world that's filled both with the forces of light and the forces of darkness. And as human beings, we're caught in the middle of this. Why are we caught in the middle? Because the forces of darkness hate God. And because we are created in the image and likeness of God, the enemy hates us and wants to take us down. We remind our enemy of who God is just by existing. And so the battle that we're wait, that this, this being fought is not a physical battle, it's a spiritual battle. And if we're going to win the battle of distraction, you've got to recognize this. You've got to recognize it's a spiritual battle. I want to read you this quote from Russell Moore. This is what he said. He said, Temptation is so strong in our lives precisely because it's not about us. 
Temptation is an assault by the demonic powers on the rival empire of the Messiah. That is why conversion to Christ doesn't diminish the power of temptation. Maybe you thought when you got saved, maybe someone inferred to you when they were trying to lead you to Christ that somehow when you made that decision that all of a sudden you wouldn't have to deal with temptation, but that's not the case. And in fact, in many cases, temptation is like, is like cranked up a little bit more. It doesn't diminish the power. And he, he says this, as we often assume, but only ratchets it up. Why? Because... We are in a spiritual battle. And if you're going to beat temptation, if you're going to beat distraction, you've got to recognize this. You're fighting a spiritual battle. There's an enemy that's out to get you, and he's trying to distract you. And the way that he tries to pull you apart from who God created you to be, the way that he tries to drag you away from the things that God has called you to do, is through sin. Now, this is like... When we talk about sin, some people get all like, oh, man, sin. And you know what? Sin is a bad thing. But it's not something that we need to be afraid of because we're not slaves to sin. We're not sinners any longer. If we, if, <clears throat> if we are followers of Christ, we are a new creation. We talked about this some months ago in This Is My Identity series. Then we are now saints, and we're not slaves to sin. But the enemy will still try to use it as a tactic in our lives to keep us off track, to keep us off course of what God has called for us to do and, to, and, and from being who he called us to be. This is, what, this is what God says to Cain about sin. Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. He says, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Because sin is crouching at your door, eager to control you. Here, God is just giving some insight to sin. Because maybe you just thought sin was about you breaking the rules or about you doing something bad. But God says that sin is not passive like that. That, that. That's not the way that the enemy uses sin or temptation. It's not passive. It's not waiting for you. It's not just like a, a trap that's set. It's waiting for you to fall into the trap. But no, God says that it's active, that it's eager to control you, that it's crouching at your door. In other words, it's hiding. It's ready to spring into attack. 1 Peter 5, 7, Peter says that stay alert, watch out for our great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If sin is crouching, that means it's trying to minimize itself. It means it's trying to hide and wait at the right moment. And here's the thing that we find so common. Sin, your sin in particular, the sin that you struggle with or deal with, the sin that Jesus has already set you free over, that really you're not a slave to any longer, but yet somehow we keep stepping in that same thing over and over. It always seems a lot smaller to you than it really is. Have you ever known somebody that has had like a temper or anger issue or some other kind of character flaw? And everybody sees it except them. Right? And, and so, you know, what's going on here? Their sin is minimized. There, there's always an excuse. Well, I'm not rude. I'm just direct. I'm not mean or ugly. I'm just telling you like it is. Um, I'm not greedy. I'm just really frugal. I'm just really careful. 
I'm not religious. I'm just holy. Listen, I'm all about living a holy life. But a lot of times we make excuses for ourselves the way that we are. Sin disguises itself. It minimizes itself. And so does distraction. If you have an unhealthy distraction habit, sometimes it's going to be hard for you to see it in the mirror. I know when I've dealt with distraction habits, even when it comes to my phone, even when it comes to technology, my wife brings it to my attention. I don't want to hear at first what she has to say, but the moment I just do some real self-examination, I go, hey, she's seeing something here that I'm not seeing myself. I probably need to wake up here because this distraction here is minimizing itself in my life. A lot of times we, we look at ourselves and just with, it's not that big of a deal. It's just a small thing. It's just a little thing. Oh, everybody deals with that. Listen, it's hard to recognize for yourself. This is one of the reasons why you need to be plugged into a Christ-centered community. This is why this fall we are intentionally making a push and asking you to lead or host or be plugged into a city group. A Christ-centered community that can help you with self-awareness. Why is self-awareness so important? Because change is impossible without self-awareness. Why would I change if I don't think I need to change? But if I'm around a loving community of Christ followers that will tell me the truth in love, then it helps me be self-aware and go, oh, I do see the need for some change. I do see the need for bringing my life under more authority and under more alignment to the authority of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Even our airplanes, our ships, our cars help with self-awareness because they all have gauges. They all have instrument panels. And those gauges tell us, are you running low on fuel? Is, are you running low on oil? Are you going too fast? Are you going too slow? Our, our navigation instruments help us know, are we going in the right direction or not? And so, if something's off, you need to know that so that you can bring correction to it in your life. And it takes self-awareness to do that. Here's the thing, self-awareness, we're seeing the need to make a course correction or change. It's often difficult for us to see standing alone. That's why we need Christ-centered community. But why does it have to be a Christ-centered community? Why can't it just be any kind of community? Well, the reason is because whatever is at the center of that community is what they will make you aware of. And so if Christ is at the center of that community, then we say, hey, our lives... Our lives are aligned to him. But if there's some other community, yeah, they're going to make you self-aware about how you're not like them or whatever it is at the center of that community. And, and so becoming like Christ, becoming who God created you to be, is not just about self-awareness. It's about Christ-awareness. That's why we need Christ-centered community. It's not, just all, it's not just about seeing your problem. It's about seeing... The author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who is going to continue to perfect us and shape us and mold us until the day he returns. You're in a spiritual battle. So surround yourself with people who will speak the truth to you in love. Listen, again, 
we're, we're organizing these city groups, not just so that we can make you know, a theater full of people feel like just a small group of people. We're doing it because we want to look more like Jesus. Yeah, yeah, community is important in the sense of we need to know people's names and faces and do life with each other. But the bottom line is, am I being transformed in the image and likeness of Christ? Am I being a disciple? Am I learning the way of my master? And am I following it? The second thing you need to know if you want to overcome distraction is that you need to set your mind. You need to set your mind. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus and the disciples are on a road trip, and they're in this place called Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus had been performing miracles for some time now, and the people of that day had heard about the prophets of old and the miracles of old, but they had never seen anything like this before until Jesus came around. And so there's a lot of buzz going on. And so Jesus asks the disciples, he says, who do people say that I am? What's, what's the word on the street about me? I know people are talking about me. What are they saying? So the disciples start responding. They say, Jesus, some people say you're, you're like the new, like John the Baptist. You're like John the Baptist 2.0. You're the new Elijah. You're the new Jeremiah. You're the new this other prophet, this other prophet. And Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Peter's got, he's always the first one to step out at the guts, right? <laughs> Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Amen. This is a big deal. This is a big deal for someone, especially a Jew, to point this out and say this. This wasn't something to joke around about. This wasn't something to be silly about or be flippant about. This was a big deal. And how does Jesus respond? He says, Peter, you are blessed. Because this was an original thought of yours. You didn't make this up. This wasn't something that someone else whispered in your ear and told you. This wasn't something that you looked on your, your neighbor's you know, answer sheet and copied their answer. This was something that my Father in heaven revealed to you. You are truly blessed. Pretty awesome. And now what's happening four verses later? Just four verses later. This gets kind of wild and crazy here. Matthew 16, verse 21. Let's look at what it says. It says, From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand, reprimand him for saying such things. Can you imagine that? Peter reading Jesus his rights? He just said, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And so Peter's trying to bring correction into Jesus' life. And he says, heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. Now, how does Jesus respond? <laughs> Peter... He comes back at Peter with a completely opposite response of what he just said a minute ago. Verse 23, he says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. In other words, Peter, just a second ago, you were getting revelation downloaded to you 
from God Almighty, the creator of all things. You're so blessed, but now you are standing in the place of Satan. You're standing and you're hindering me. You're standing in my way. How did Peter find himself in this situation? Going from, wow, Jesus is calling me blessed. The Father's revealing things for me. I'm getting downloads from heaven. To now all of a sudden, I'm, I'm like reprimanding Jesus and then he's calling me Satan. <laughs> Jesus says this. This is how Peter got himself there. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Mm -hmm. Jesus makes it clear there's two places that you can set your mind. You can set your mind on the things of God or your own things. You can set your mind on your own desires or God's desires. You can live with Jesus at the center or you can live with your own distractions at the center. But you can't have it both ways. Two things don't fit in the center. Just one thing does. You know, before smartphones, before internet, before a lot of the distractions that we seem to have in our modern day... C.S. Lewis said this. He said, In our own time and place, avoiding God is extremely easy. Just avoid silence. Avoid solitude. Avoid any train of thought that leads off the beaten track. And do this. Concentrate on money. Concentrate on sex and status and health. And above all, your own grievances. This sounds a lot like our distraction industry. I mean, our entertainment industry. <laughs> Today, the things that they're cranking out. And he says, keep the radio on. Or we could say, keep your phone close to you. Live in a crowd. Now, he's not saying live in community. What he's saying is live a noisy life. Use plenty of sedation. Drug and alcohol abuse. If you must read books, select them carefully. But you'd better be safer to stick to the papers. We could include magazines, blogs, social media, internet news. You'll find the advertisements helpful, especially those with a sexy or snobbish appeal. It's easy to avoid God by following what just you want, following your own desires, following your own impulses. But if you really want to follow Christ, then it's going to take you being active in pursuing him. It requires you focusing your life on what he wants. Why? Because where you focus, your heart will follow. Again, that's why we tell our teenagers when they're learning how to drive, keep your eyes on the road. Don't look at your phone. Don't be looking over here. What's going on over here in the back seat with your brother and sister making a loud racket? Shut up, guys. Your sister's driving. Our lives are in her hands. <laughs> right. <laughs> Keep your eyes on your Why? Keep your eyes on Jesus because where your focus is, your heart will follow. How do you do this? It's a choice that you make. And the great thing is, is that you don't have to do all this in your own power. You can ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me make these decisions. Sometimes I don't know what the right decision is. Help me make the right choice. Help me stay focused on Jesus. And he will help you. And he'll give you strength to follow through. You know what it might mean? Sleeping with your phone in another room so it's not the first thing that you see when you wake up. It might mean when you get in the car that you leave the radio turned off so that you can have some silence and solitude. 
unless you're driving with the teenagers anyway. It might mean that you're going to take your daily calendar and you're actually going to schedule time with God just like you would an appointment to meet someone somewhere else. The first thing we do is we recognize there's a spiritual battle. The second thing is that we set our mind on God's interests, on the things above is what Colossians says, on spiritual things is what Philippians says. We set our mind. And then the last thing is this. Let the gospel that saved you be the gospel that changes you. It's unfortunate, but I think sometimes it like gets into our thoughts that now that we're saved, now that we're born again, we don't really need to hear that message anymore. Oh, yeah, 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 that's what I needed to hear when I was far from God. That's what I needed to hear when my life was a mess. But now, now that you know, I'm, I'm a believer, now that I'm born again, I don't really need to hear that as much. I want to hear more interesting things. And we think that the gospel is the ABCs of Christianity. Like, oh, we A, B, C. All right, we've got that. Let's go to the next thing. The gospel is not the ABCs. The gospel is the A to Z. It's, it's the beginning and the end. All the way from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. It's the whole thing. It's not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's not just the, 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 the red letters. It's all of it. All of it. All of it points to Jesus. Yes. Every single bit of it. We think, well, I don't need to hear that anymore. Listen, what saved us, what brought us to Christ is the same thing that changes us and transforms us into the image of Christ. This is what Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Isn't that what we're talking about with the distraction? We're getting entangled. Let's throw off everything, every little thing that's hindering us, every little thing that's entangling us. We're being entangled by all sorts of things, our phones, social media, busy schedules, so on and so forth. And it's time to throw them off. The things that aren't producing any real fruit in our lives, let's let those things go to the wayside. They're just distractions. They're not propelling you to where God wants you to go. They're not making, they're not helping you make a difference with your life. So let's throw off these things and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We're running a race. It's a journey. You don't just get there overnight. So how are we going to run with perseverance? How are we going to endure? Here's how we do it. Verse 2. By fixing our eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and the perfecter of faith. This means every day we look at Jesus. Every day we're building our lives upon the rock of our salvation. Daily, we remind ourselves of what he has done on our behalf. What did he do? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So you can't just be like, yeah, 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 I know that already. I've heard that already. I don't need to hear it again. No, you do need to hear it again and again and again and again. We need to be reminded that it's not about what we accomplish. It's not about our accolades. It's not about how awesome we are. We talked about that last week, right? About humanism. Well, I'm awesome. Why? Well, just because I am. No. 
If there's any bit of awesomeness in you, it's because of Jesus. And that's where we need to find our identity, in him. We continually preach the gospel to ourselves, reminding ourselves of what Jesus has done. Why is that important? Why is it important that I'm reminded of what Jesus has done and accomplished? Because verse 3 says this, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Distraction gets our focus off of Jesus. And when our focus is not on him, when we're not considering him who endured, that's when we become weary. That's when we lose heart. But if we keep focused on Jesus, we can begin to realize all the good things that he makes available to us as we pursue him. Whatever your issue is, it's not going to get fixed by you just looking at your issue. Self-awareness is important. But Christ's awareness is pinnacle. If you're not going to say, well, I just can't. don't do that anymore. Don't do that anymore. Don't do that anymore. Don't do that anymore. No. Let's look at Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. That's when we start to change. When we direct our thoughts and our passion and our energy toward him. This is what Romans 1.16 says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is what it is. The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. There's power in the gospel. Jesus performed so that you wouldn't have to. Jesus performed so you wouldn't have to. And when we remind ourselves of that truth, that's when we begin to change. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are not done with us. You are the author. You're the perfecter of our faith. Thank you that you've got great plans for our lives. And I pray that you would help us see ourselves the way that you see us. Help us stay focused on you. Help us build the foundation of our lives upon you. Help us keep you at the center of our lives. Once again, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to reveal to our hearts where we need you the most. Show us what distractions are pulling us apart and dragging us away from who you've called us and created us to be, from what you've called us to do. Help us see those distractions. Help us be aware. Help us see that we're in a spiritual battle. Things that are happening around us are not just things of this world that we can see and touch and smell and hear. But it's sometimes, a lot of times, oftentimes, most of the time, it's the cause of something that's happening in the unseen realm. Help us be aware of that. Help us see the authority that you've given us in Christ to take control over situations in the name of Jesus. Help us set our minds on your interests. And thank you that no matter where we are, no matter how messy our lives are, might be right now, God, I thank you that you want to transform us into your image, into your likeness, and that you want to use our lives to make the difference on this world that you always intended. We pray this in the authority and the name of Jesus. Everybody said amen. amen. Would you stand up with me? The very... 
beginning of this journey is making that decision to live a, a, a life following Jesus, a life submitted to his lordship, a life submitted to his authority. And what's crazy about this is that we can bring the mess of our lives just totally jacked up. And we say, well, God, here I am. Give you my life. And you know what he does? He gives us his life. He gives us Christ. And we don't do anything to deserve it. We can't. It's a beautiful exchange. It's a beautiful exchange. And today, if you're here and you've never done that and you want to do that today, I want to give you the opportunity right now. I'm going to pray. And I just want to invite you to join me in prayer right now. Heavenly Father, I just come to you now. And I give my life to you. I confess to you that I've been living my life my own way. I've been going my own way. And I don't want to do that anymore. So Holy Spirit, I thank you that you've stopped me here in my tracks today. And I want to respond to the invitation that you're asking me towards. Jesus, I want you to be in charge of my life. Jesus, I want you to be my Lord, my Savior, my Redeemer, the hope of my life. So I believe, I believe, Jesus, that God raised you from the dead. And I confess you as my Lord. I ask you to come and make that exchange. Give me your life. And I'll give you my life. God, I want to follow you all the days of my life. Amen.